Good morning, Sanctuary. Today marks Trinity Sunday for the church. It marks this shift, this transition from the season of Eastertide to the long, drawn-out season of ordinary time. It stretches from now all the way until the end of November. It's this reminder that the majority of our life is spent in these sacred, ordinary days on the heels of Pentecost and empowered by the Spirit. But we launch into ordinary time through the doorway of Trinity Sunday. It's a specific day that we set aside to remember that the God in whom we believe is three in one. The three persons of the Trinity being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In reality, we celebrate the Trinity and this triune relationship every Sunday when we declare what it is that we believe. We believe in God, the Father Almighty. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury says, we use the word persons in talking about the Trinity to keep from using worse words. To be sure, a lot of terribly unhelpful things have been said about understanding this relationship. But when we say persons, we're not saying the Trinity is a group of people. Certainly not two men and a bird, as theologian Sandra Schneiders wrote. We're also not saying the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit occupy perfect thirds, like three pieces making up one pie. These are not three beings but the mystery from which all being comes, all goodness comes. All of that to say, there are lots of ways we can talk faithfully about this triune God and our relationship to God. It doesn't need to remain a mystery to us. Scripture speaks about the triune God as not just being with us, but in us and us in him. So to have something to say of the Trinity is to say something about space, that within this triune God is the space in which all our life as Christians happens. For from him and through him and for him are all things, as the Apostle Paul reminds us. What we see in the Trinity is a model for divine community, the kind of relationship God imagines for us, the way we interact with God and the way we interact with our neighbor. We're called to imitate this triune relationship as we live our lives with other human beings. And maybe imitate is too shallow an image. Imitation is often thought of simply, watch what I do and then do what you see. For even the best of us visual learners, do what you see isn't something that's easy to do. I mean, this is a terrible analogy, but imagine watching Tiger Woods hit a golf ball 300 yards down the fairway, and then he turns to you, hands you a golf ball and says, you saw what I did, now just go and do that. Obviously, none of us would be able to simply imitate what we see only by observing it. We're called to imitate this divine community, but not in a way that just mirrors what we see. We're called to imitate by being drawn in as participants in that divine life. But what is that divine life? I mean, so much of what we're saying here seems so opaque and vaporish, like 
where is the actual substance to this doctrine of the Trinity? So let's be specific, and let's be as specific as possible. That divine life, the divine relationship we find in the Trinity, that we are invited and empowered to participate in, is a life of love. One of our lectionary texts for today is the entirety of Genesis 1, the poem of creation. And one of the ways the church has interpreted this act that creates all action is by this triune relationship, this endless act of giving and receiving love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father gives to the Son, and the Son receives from the Father. The Son gives to the Father, and the Father receives from the Son. The Spirit gives to the Son, and the Son receives from the Spirit, and so on and so forth. It's an endless, ongoing relationship of giving and receiving. And that gift that is being given and received and given again is the gift of love. And it is out of this cycle, this perfect relationship of giving and receiving, that the Word, the breath of God, the Spirit, goes forth and causes all creation to come into being. So that any act of the Spirit is an act of love. St. Augustine talks about the Trinity in this way, lover, beloved, and love. The Father is the lover, the Son is the beloved, and the Spirit is their loving. So to speak of the Spirit is to speak of the bonding love that exists between the Father and the Son. My wife and I, we have our eighth anniversary coming up in just a couple of weeks, and my wife and I We love each other, but when we speak about our love or we experience one another's love for the other, it's not like our love is a third party. Our love is what's generated as we build and live our lives together, as we give and receive and give again the good gifts that we give and receive to one another. This love spills over into how we live with our children. I mean, For them, the location of our love as their parents is found in how the two of us, their mom and dad, care for them and nurture them and correct them. It's seemingly impossible to separate the love that is generated because of our lives being brought together from the love that they experience as our children. That is something of the Spirit's work in our lives. The Spirit as the loving presence of God becomes an agent of our love for one another and that love itself. So any act of love, any desire to love God, any of our ability to love our neighbor, so long as it is loving rightly, is only made possible by the Spirit's loving and working in us. So what does this have to do with anything? I mean, how is this good news to us when the world is on fire? If you've been anything like me, you've been overwhelmed, angry, brought to tears by the state of what's happening in our country. Even then, I realize I say that as a non-person of color. I can only say that from a place of privilege. I can't imagine the trauma and the pain that our black brothers and sisters are experiencing. It's a 400-year-old trauma that they've carried. I watched one interview this week where a black father is speaking to his eight-year-old daughter about how to interact with the police in ways that keep her safe. 
He told her the story of being tased by officers who accused him of not being compliant. And his daughter starts weeping. You can see the sense of innocence being lost in her face as he tries to help her come to terms with the reality of being black in America. Bishop Michael Curry, presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, writes, Violence against any person is violence against a child of God, created in God's image. And that ultimately is violence against God, which is blasphemy, the denial of the God whose love is the root of genuine justice and true human dignity and equality. So as people of God, citizens of another kingdom, as the Apostle Paul reminds us, people whose lives ought to be animated by the Spirit, what does this love look like? How can we find this path of love and follow it? This Spirit-led love does not look like silence, but it often looks like listening. Silence is needed, to be sure. It just needs to be silence of grief and compassion and attention, not the silence of indifference. At a time when the world is on fire, love does not look like tranquility. It looks like justice. Love looks like powerful action and reform, responsibility of our actions and our participation in unjust systems. Again, in Bishop Curry's words, love looks like all of us, people of every race and political affiliation standing up and saying, enough, we can do better than this. We can be better than this. In Luke's gospel, we find the story of the Good Samaritan in which a Jewish man is beaten and left for dead. When others pass him by and pretend not to notice, we read, a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. This outsider, the one who had been labeled as the other, he is the one who stops, sees the man. He didn't ignore him or pretend not to notice, and he spends his time and his money and his energy healing someone he doesn't know or even like. We're all wondering what we can possibly do in this moment to be good Samaritans. What can we do to help heal our country, even the parts we don't know or even like? For many of us, we've been trained to see ourselves as the Samaritan who is doing good work. And now we've reflected on this story for so long that we end up musing on this story rather than embodying this kind of love and care. For others of us, it doesn't take long before the story just becomes too big. The problem and the grief is so large and so institutional and so systematic that we can't even begin to take it all in, let alone find a hopeful way forward. If the Samaritan takes that same trip every day and finds another body on the side of the road, and the next day another and another, and then a dozen more bodies and a hundred bodies, at some point the Samaritan has to think about the robbers. At some point the Samaritan has to think about the conditions that keep making this all possible. This is the moment we're in. If the robbers prefer roadways dark, then we advocate for light. If the robbers prefer the road to be full of turns and twists and corners to hide behind, 
We, like John the Baptist, go and make straight paths. If the robbers prefer the road to have hills and valleys to maintain the high ground, we join our voices with the prophet Isaiah in proclaiming every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth. But changing this landscape requires work. Work that will be messy and look disruptive. You don't neatly flatten the mountains and it will take time. It's time for us to take the Spirit's love seriously, to practice this constant act of giving and receiving rather than thinking we have all the answers. We need to listen. We need to be committed to being peacemakers rather than peacekeepers, brave enough to carve out a new path forward that makes for real peace and not just the illusion of order and control. Finally, our gospel text today is one of the most famous pieces of scripture. We call it the Great Commission. Jesus is here telling his disciples how to direct their energies as they go from this moment. He tells them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This cuts to the very heart of our mission as Christians. This is what all believers are called to do, but oftentimes we read this from the top down as if we are the apostles charged with taking a message rather than understanding that we are those to whom the apostles' message has come. When we put ourselves in the apostles' place, we assume that we are in authority and we are already ready to teach others how to live faithfully. If the events of these past several weeks, if the horrific original sin of our nation shows us anything, it's that we don't yet know how to live faithfully with one another. Instead, we ought to read this in the same way believers throughout history have read it from the bottom up, to see that we are the ones under authority, Christ's authority, and we need to be trained to live faithfully. To this, I would say we need to see our black brothers and sisters as prophets, as people who have suffered oppression, lived on the underside of power, carried heavier burdens than we know or understand, and still find ways to act and respond with faith and compassion and love. Love only made possible by the Spirit. This past week, we commemorated the 99th anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre. Right here in our own city, we are witnesses to the ways our racist history continues to shape the city of Tulsa, both in our physical geography and in our socioeconomic landscape. We are finding ways to advocate for change, to partner with those already doing good, important work and imagining a beautiful, peaceful, and equitable future for our city. Being a Christian in this moment means living with the tension of not giving way to partisan politics, to have the bravery to call out evil where we see it and refuse to turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to the cries of injustice. 
Saint Edith Stein, a Jewish philosopher who became a nun and was later executed in the concentration camp at Auschwitz said, surrender to Christ does not make us blind and deaf to the needs of others. On the contrary, we now seek for God's image in each human being and want above all to help each human being win their freedom. So my prayer for us as a people is that we would be animated by the love of the Holy Spirit, that we would let that love carry us from silence to listening, from inaction to the work of peacemaking, from blindness to a place of witnessing God's image in every human being. Amen.